The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. everybody it is thursday september 14th 2023 and it is indeed a heck of a morning we are live on the mma fighting twitter space so you can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the mma fighting podcasting network what's up everybody i am mike heck hope everyone's having a great week hope you're all enjoying this new world we live in where sean strickland is the ufc middleweight champion of the world it's been a very busy week as far as reactions to that goes, and we're not done yet. The UFC 293 hangover is real. We'll have a BTL later on today at 1230 Eastern. It'll be Jed and New York Rick coming on to react to all this news five days later. We got Noche UFC coming up on Saturday. It's a free card. I mean, somewhat. You get a have ESPN Plus, but still, you're not having to pay 85 bucks for a title fight, which is pretty sweet. We got Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko 2 for the flyway title. Valentina Shevchenko will look to exact some revenge. We have Kevin Holland versus Jack Della Maddalena. Really interesting fight at 170 in the co-main event. We have the return of Raul Rosas Jr., his first fight since suffering his first pro loss. The 18-year-old takes on Terrence Mitchell, we get Daniel Zellhuber, a very exciting prospect at 155, taking on Christos Giagos, who has just fought a murderer's row since coming to the UFC. Fernando Padilla versus Kyle Nelson. We got Lupi Godinez, Elise Reed, Roman Kopilov, Josh Fremt, Edgar Chires versus Daniel Lacerda. Kind of buried on the prelims, if you ask me. Tracy Cortez versus Jasmine Jazdavicius. I think that one should be a little bit higher up on the card. We have the debuting Charlie Campbell taking on the returning Alex Reyes, who returns to the Octagon for the first time in six years. Six years to the day. Alex Reyes is back. And then kicking things off, we have Josephine Knutson versus fellow UFC newcomer Marnik Mann. So a lot going on. Bellator 301, we had a bunch of big fights announced for that, so there's a lot going on right now. So let's hear from you guys and gals, and we'll get right into it. Thomas, you are up first. Go right ahead. Um, I just wanted to uh, bring up, I don't know if you've seen it on Tuesday. Uh, it would have been Tuesday morning here or Tuesday evening for yourselves. Um, the Dana White's cont- Contender Series, I know you're quite critical of it. But I thought it was probably I've watched all of the se- uh, the season so far, and I probably thought it was the best episode yet. It was just every fight was just a banger. That was it. Yes. Look, let me just clarify something. I'm not critical of the show. I like the show. I've always liked the show. I have been into the program since it began. The problem I have with the show and that I've been having the last few seasons is that all you have to do to get a contract essentially is win. Like it can be a boring performance. Like Dana White awarded a contract to the guy that he said 
put on the most boring fight he's ever – one of the most boring fights he's ever seen, maybe the most boring fight that has ever happened on the Contender Series. And he still gave the guy a contract. That's my issue with it. That's my issue with it. The stakes are lower than ever on the Contender Series. And I get it. Like, I totally understand it because it's a business thing. And we're, we have a million cards we have to fill up. There's fight nights. There's Apex cards. There's the Traveling Road Show fight nights. There's the pay-per-views. And there's, you know, 13, 14, 15 fights that are supposed to be slated for all these cards. So we, got, we need to have bodies. And bringing on Contender Series fighters at 10 and 10 or 12 and 12, wherever they're at, it's an easy way to make a ton of money, especially on those Apex shows where it's in your building People are paying astronomical prices to go and have the apex experience. So I get it from a business perspective. So I'm not dogging the UFC for that. I understand why people are upset about it. But look, this is the world we live in, and the UFC is printing money. This episode of the, of the show was incredible. And to me, after watching – I haven't watched like every single contender series over the last couple of years, but I watched this one, and golly, this was I don't know if it was, I mean, it's, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but you can make a very strong case that this is the best contender series episode there ever was. It was so good. From the first fight, Matsumoto and Casey Tanner. That fight was incredible. That fight was amazing. And I have a feeling Casey Tanner is going to get an opportunity in the UFC sooner rather than later. The performance of Julia Palastri was nasty. Great rear naked choke. Stephen Wynn has been on the show, it seems like, 500 times. Finally exercises the demons. That fight with AJ Cunningham was insane for as long as it lasted. Jonana, Denise, Eduardo Neves, crazy knockout there. And then the main event was super fun too. Like, it was a great episode. It was a great episode. And I, and I like the fact that Dana awarded contracts to all the fighters because they deserved it. But instead of offering contracts to the fighters who lost, he just he gave them their win money. And like I like that. I like that. The one thing that's been missing from the last couple of seasons is while we've had some great performances and, and a lot of these prospects are, are very good, some of them just aren't UFC ready. They're just not. I miss the days where if Dane is excited about a guy but they're not ready, he doesn't just usher them into the UFC – we have the, you know, the deal where you could fight around. I forget what the the actual terminology is, but it's a it's a deal where you're like you're signed to the UFC, but you're not fighting in the UFC. Chase Hooper got one. William Knight got one. I liked those deals. I liked those, and I wish there were more of those, so we could see some of these prospects with high floors and unknown ceilings get a chance to spread their wings and gain some experience on some big shows before just getting thrust into a UFC card and not being ready for it. So I'm not critical of the show. I'm critical of the stakes involved more than anything. But this episode was fucking incredible. It was incredible. And if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend you go back and watch it because it was, it was awesome. It was a great episode. Those fighters all showed up. Yes, four on sniper. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, heck of a morning. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to talk, to talk about a matchup between Raul Rosas and Terrence Mitchell this weekend. Uh, I think the UFC did a great job matching up Raul Rosas with Terrence Mitchell. Uh, this is probably the most favorable matchup you could have gave Raul. Uh, he's a minus, I think, 800 right now. I honestly think he should be minus 1200 because I think he's going to run through Terrence. I just wanted your opinion on the matchup between those two, and what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, this is a good bounce-back fight. And Terrence, look, I know Terrence is kind of being brought in here to, I don't know, to be kind of a showcase for Al Roches Jr., to be a, a bounce-back, if you will. But Terrence has been up and down the block a few times. This guy's not bad. Like, he's not bad. He's, he's an exciting fighter. He's an exciting guy. And if you even go back to his debut in the UFC where he fought Cameron Simon, like that was – he ended up getting knocked out in that fight, but that was like a, a fun fight while it lasted. So Terrence has been in there with some, with some decent competition. He's got a really good ground game. Probably a little underrated here. 
But yeah, dude, we, we know what this is going to be. Like Terrence is going to is going to bring a fight to Raul and allow him to do what he does best. Now, do I think Raul will go in there and just choke him unconscious? It's possible, but we could see Raul Rocha Jr. get himself a, a little bit of a knockout right now. Like I think there's I was listening to No Bet's Bard and I kind of agree with with Jed and, and GC cuz there is opportunity for Raul Rocha Jr. to get to get a knockout. I don't know if it's a standing one, but probably like more of a TKO where he gets him down. Maybe Terrence defends some submissions and Raul Rocha Jr. just throws a bunch of elbows and punches and gets him out of there. So, yeah, this, this should be a good bounce back for, for Raul Rocha Jr. I think he needed to be humbled a little bit, and he certainly was by Christian Rodriguez. And he's still got some swag and some confidence to him, but we'll see how he does here. He needs to go out and just run Terrence Mitchell over. If he goes out and wins a 29-28 decision, not very good. Uh, a win is a win, and that's important. But for what they're trying to accomplish here, Rose is winning a competitive decision is, is not the road to travel here uh, if you're the UFC or Raul Rose Jr. So, yeah, I, I expect Raul Rose Jr. to get Terrence Mitchell out of there. I think there's some value to it. KOTKO prop won't be a standing knockout, I don't think. But Terrence is pretty good on the ground. He's got pretty good defensive grappling. But he does get – he does have trouble with some ground and pound and – I think this is a, a spot for Raul Rochas Jr. to possibly get a TKO. That will be my official staff pick for MA Fighting. Uh, either first or second round TKO for Raul Rochas Jr. But if he submits him, would surprise me at all. Would not surprise me at all. But I think we all know what this fight is. Uh, is at least put on paper to be. But we also live in a world where Sean Strickland's the middleweight champion. So anything can happen in the sport. It is official, and that's how it works. Uh, Momen Awa, go ahead. Yes, sir. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. I was just wondering, what do you think would be next for the loser between Chemaev and uh, Costa? If it was for Chemaev, do you think he would go back to welterweight and challenge there again? Or do you think he would come, uh, come back, bounce again, and challenge again and try a 185 that's a really interesting question and so, honestly when you when you're dealing when you're talking about a guy like Hamza Chimaev it's not a question that you really ask yourself that often because you just expect Hamza to go in there and do Hamza things and just run over his competition but Paul Costa is a tough fight man he is a tough fight the dude is a dog and but if he lo- if he loses to Paul, it's it's not good, it's not good. And I don't know if going back to 170 is going to really work here because I don't know if you guys have seen photos of Hamzat on social media. Dude looks like he thicked up a little bit and put on put on some muscle. And being able to make that cut back to 170 is going to be super difficult. It's going to be super difficult. So I kind of feel like his path is still at one 185, even if he loses this fight. But you just go back to the drawing board, get a little more active. And I like if Hamza loses, like it's gonna be a bad week for him. He's gotta get shit on by a lot of the the dopes in the MMA community saying he was never that good to begin with. I mean, look what look what Israel Adesanya is dealing with right now. Oh, Izzy was never that good. Eugene Barriman was never that good of a coach. Like, this is what the reactions are like sometimes. So Hamza will have a bad week. But if he goes out and just fights like a high-level middleweight and wins, like he's right back in there. But the, the key to Shabayev's success at this point is just getting out there and being active. Like this guy was like on his way to becoming a massive star. And now again, for the second time in like three or four years, we have to wait over a year for him to fight. That's a huge thing. He goes out there and wipes the floor with mops the floor with Paul Costa and then is ready to fight like five months later. It's a good spot to be. But if he loses, I don't think 170 is the answer. I've said this a million times. I was in Jacksonville for fight week when he fought Gilbert Burns. I stood next to that man. I have no friggin' idea how that man made 170. No idea. Hamza could fight it. Like standing next to him, like my first thought was, dude, this guy could fight at 205 if he wanted to. Like, if he put on a little more size, he could fight at 205. He's that big. He's humongous. A giant. So, no, I don't think 170 will be the answer if he loses that fight. 
And it, shout out to the comments. Developmental deal. That's the word I was looking for for contender series. Toke, go ahead, my man. Card. It's kind of crazy that last week was the pay-per-view and this is the this is the free card. <laughs> this this card looks insane. So I'm just uh, I'm just amazed that this is not a pay-per-view. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm the, I'm the Danish correspondent on the show, of course. So there's just been announced a fight between Nicholas Dolby and Gabriel Bonfim. I don't know what it is with the UFC and booking Danes against Brazilians. They've had it all throughout. If you look through the fighters that they've had, Mess Burnell, his first fight in the UFC was uh, Michel Caceres at lightweight. And lightweight, lightweight Caceres is not lightweight Caceres. <laughs> but they've had it with all the other Danish fighters as well. Demir Hatsovic getting sent off to die in Brazil against Renato uh, Moicano. <laughs> and yeah, they've done it with almost all of them. And they're doing it here again. I don't know how you've seen that matchup. Uh, if you see... Dolby having any chance against uh, Bonfim, or if you just see this as a slaughter in, in Sao Paulo? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Let me, uh, let me take a gander here. When is this fight happening? When is this fight happening? Uh, November 4th. It'll be, yeah, Sao Paulo card. I mean, look, man, he's... He does very well against the Brazilian fighters. He does very well. And he usually wins when he fights in Brazil. So I ain't counting that man out of, at all. Like, look at, his, look at his resume in the UFC. Win against Alex Oliveira. Win against Claudio Silva. Win against Worley Alves. Dude does very well in these types of situations. So I think it's a good fight. Uh, it's a good test for Gabriel Bonfim. Like, Dolby's looked really good. That win over Muslim Salikov was super impressive back in June. So I think it's good matchmaking. I don't think it's going to be a slaughter. And if it is, then they know they, they, they're cooking with gas with Gabriel Bonfim. So I think it's a good next step for Gabriel. I think a lot of people are very excited for, for him. I think it's a good fight. I think it's a really good fight. I think this was a, a pretty popular on-to-the-next-one pick as well after UFC Jacksonville, so and after Bonfim's last fight. So I think it's good matchmaking. I think it's good matchmaking. We also got a bunch of fights uh, announced for UFC 294 that were made official. So we got the four we saw on the broadcast, the Makhchev Oliveira rematch, Costa Shemaev, Imovov, Alaskarov, Ankalaev, Johnny Walker, but uh, UFC announced Tim Elliott... Mohamed Bahayev is official. SD Dumas is fighting Abu Azaitar. Victoria Dudikova versus Jinyu Fry. Jinyu Frey, excuse me. Bruno Silva versus Sharabutin Magomedov. Mohamed Yaya versus Trevor Peak. And you know if Trevor Peak's fighting, it's going to be insane. Uh, Anshul Jubli versus Mike Breeden. And Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Muin Gafarov. So that's the current UFC 294 lineup. It's it's pretty good. It's a pretty good card. Those top five fights are really really good. So right now there's eleven on the books. I'm sh I'm sure they're going to announce some more. But yeah, the card's starting to come together, and Dolby Bonfim's good fight. I like that fight a lot. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Uh, go ahead, Abzalaya. What's up? Yeah, uh, I just got a few things I want to ask. I'll start off um, with the flyweight division. Um, just a few, like, interesting fights I would like to discuss and uh, get your thoughts on it. Um, so, as you can see, that we're going to have Brandon Robel fighting Pantoja for the belt. But in the meantime, I think... I would definitely like to see um, Matthew Nicolau fight um, Amir Albazi, who recently won against um, Kai Kara France in June. Because, truthfully speaking, if we watched that fight, that was kind of a robbery. Or at the very least, it was just a unanimous split decision win that didn't really effort amount too much to earn him a title shot. And I think that would be a good fight for both fighters to have um, as a maybe title eliminate fights. Since we don't know what's going to happen with Brandon Marino, he'll probably be in the mix of things um, as long as Pantoja's not the champion. Um, and I just the other questions I would like to ask is, um, with, first thing is with Hamza Chimaev, like I heard you talking earlier about his weight and all that. Like Obviously, I, I don't ever see him fighting at 170 again unless it's for a title and that's if he does become a champion 185 and accumulates at least two, three title defenses to fight for double champ status. But is it, is he, like, you've you stood next to him before, uh, as you mentioned earlier, but is he definitely a fighter that seems more fitting to be even fighting in at 205 in the future as he gets older? Because I, I find he has a very unique and weird body complex. Like, he definitely looks like a huge fighter, but not to the point where I think he would hang with the Yuri Prohaskas, the Alexander Rakic, the the Nikita Krylovs, and, you know, all those kind of guys. I mean, if we look at how big Jan Blahovic is, for fuck's sake, like that alone tells me, like, he's not going to stand tall with them. He might be able to put some damage, but uh, I don't see him doing much. And I think it is kind of a waste because the hype, the initial part of his initial hype and potential was him becoming a double champ status at 170 and 185. Or even triple champ with two or five because you know, just like Conor McGregor, there was a lot of interesting fights that were very marketable for him, like Kamar Usman, Leon Edwards, maybe Bilal, you know, Colby Covington. And I was seeing a 185, same thing, Costa, maybe Adesanya or Sean Strickland. Um, I would definitely want to know your thoughts on that about you know the two or five situation. And I just have one more thing I want to um, kind of ask and state because you're a reporter yourself and. I generally respect you as a reporter and how you've um, run your profession, your your day-to-day job. Um, but I have noticed, similarly to like soccer and NFL reporters, there's a lot of MMA reporters who just really tend to be ridiculous at their job and they just don't seem to have this charisma or, you know, interesting questions to ask fighters. Because I was watching the Kevin Holland uh press today and I'm, I'm very glad he actually pointed this out to one of the reporters about how stupid some of their questions are like you know I see John Morgan Brett, or- Brett Orcoloro and just some of these other people all they ask Dana or these fighters are the same blank questions rather than having an interest to ask the difficult questions like Ariel does or I've seen Alex Bahumian does you know like I just want to know your thoughts is there a reason why these reporters um, just tend to not have that charisma or, you know, interest in asking fighters, you know, interesting question that could lead to a spark of conversation. Uh, and that's all I have. Thanks, man. Have a good day. Uh, man, a lot to unpack there. Um, Nikolai Bazi, sure. Uh, is it a number one contender fight? Probably not. I mean, if Albazi wins, he's got a much better case than Nikolai does since Nikolai just lost not that long ago. So... Yeah, it's not a bad one. It appears that the UFC's, I mean, if, you, if you're following Twitter at all, uh, UFC's trying to do Mid-All Cop, Kaikar France, 
probably a main event. So I get I I don't think anyone's really surprised by that whole thing. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. So yeah, Flywood's pretty interesting. Brandon Moreno's a big wild card in this conversation because when he's ready to come back, he's probably going to get a title shot when he does. But who knows? They could just chuck him in there with like Henry Cejudo and just do a fun rivalry fight. Like no one's going to complain about that either. So I think Moreno just kind of needs a. If if it were up to me, let's throw Moreno into another fight with somebody else. And just get him away from the belt for a while. Dude has been attached to that belt for so long. Almost three years now he's been attached to that belt. The whole thing with, with Figgy and now Pantoja and Kaikar France. Like everything has been about the belt. Maybe give him give him give him a fight outside of the belt. And then if he wins, he gets right back to it. I you mentioned Hamzad. I think his I think his days of 170 are over. If he's going to be a two-division champ, it's going to be 85-205. But at this point with Hamzad and how inactive he is, I think we got to walk before we run. So I'm going to hold my future prospects for Hamzad Shemaev until I see him walk to the octagon and fight Paul Costa and see how that fight goes, and then we can start talking about that. As far as the reporters go, look, it's, it, it's, it's different when you're on site – and when you're like doing a straight 25 minute interview with somebody, because like a, a UFC press conference, as much as we would love to see it, as much as these press conferences can be super tough, you want things to move along a little bit. And you also don't want to take the attention off of the fighters and off of the promotion of the fight and put it on you. And if you sit there and you ask Dana White about fighter pay at a press conference, like that's not good. That's not good. The other thing I will say when you mentioned John Morgan is that when you're when we're on site covering these events, and I I noticed this when we covered Jacksonville, I noticed this when we covered uh, when I covered International Fight Week in Vegas, kind of in Boston too. John wasn't in Boston for for two ninety two and, and all the fight week stuff, but. John is the reason John asked the first questions is because John like lays out the path. John asks sort of the obvious questions. We get the response from the fighters. And then those of us batting behind John, we can ask follow-ups based on their answers. So John just kind of sets the table and then we kind of do our thing after that. Um, It's just nice. Like even, even for me, like 292 during media day, I asked all the first questions. Most of them were just kind of setting the table for everybody else. And then the press conference, we have kind of a game plan. Like Jose went first and then Oscar went. And then I think I I was supposed to go next, but I think Danny Segura ended up going next. But like we had a plan. Like Jose is going to ask these fighters questions and Oscar is going to ask these fighters questions. And then my plan was, all right, well, there's other fighters up there. So I'll ask them questions. Because like if I didn't ask – Mario Batista and Damon Blackshear a question at the press conference. Like nobody was going to ask them questions. Nobody. They were just sat there the whole time. Nobody asked them anything. So I don't know. It's 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 different. And then like a post fight press conference, you can get a little more in depth with Dana. But to me, those questions and those opportunities are more so for one on one conversations. At least to me. At least to me. And you know me. I'm not afraid to ask the hard questions. I'm not going to do it at a press conference. It's just. It just takes the spotlight off of what we're trying to do here. Want this thing to move along, want it to be in and out. Um, and there's no need to like piss Dana off at a press conference. Now the post-fight stuff, again, you get him for a little bit longer. It's just him sitting there. You can, you can ask questions. Um, after a contender series event, you get him. One out, he sits there and answers questions for 20 minutes. In those opportunities, you can ask the hard questions. Like you really can. It's just, it's tough, man. It's, it's, it's tough. It's definitely tough. And then sometimes there's just tough questions to ask that are like right there for you. And plus Dana does this thing. This has nothing to do with, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Dana at the contender series was asked about the Israel Adesanya rematch. And Dana did this whole thing that he always does where he says something that nobody agrees with. And then everyone just kind of gets after Dana. And then he flips it on the websites that write up exactly what he says. So when he's asked about Israel, He's like, someone asked me a question. I said, yeah, I would be into the rematch. 
And then all these websites write this shit. That's not what you said. You said, absolutely, we should get the rematch. You said it. You literally said, I'll pull up the exact quote right now. I'll pull up the exact quote right now. Because I was wondering what he was so fucking mad about when it came to that. This is what he said. I think you do the rematch. Absolutely. The rematch is interesting. That could be the thing too. When you think about Adesanya going into the Pereira fight, such a big fight. You've been in there with this guy so many times. And then you overlook Strickland. You come in, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions, but Israel does, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. I think you do the rematch. Absolutely, is what he said. Tuesday night after the Contender Series, here's what he said. I think if you remember that night, people said, what do you think? You think rematch? I said, yeah, the rematch sounds great. That's not what you said. You said, let me pull it back up. You said, I think you do the rematch. Absolutely. That's what you said. And now it says, oh, the website's misquoted what I said. You said absolutely. Ah, that shit drives me crazy, man. I saw the stupid fucking shit that was written by all these stupid fucking websites. Never once did I say, yes, we're going to fucking do this rematch. Yeah, no one said you said we were going to do the rematch. But you said, absolutely, I think we should do the rematch. That's the tough thing about talking to Dana because he flips it. When he says something that people don't agree with, he just, oh, well, it's not my fault. It's the website's misquoting me. It's fucking bullshit. Uh, let's go to Noah. Go ahead, Noah. Noah, you're muted. Yep, there you go. Do we have you? Uh, it's not going through. Try again. We'll get you in. Uh, go ahead, Four Corner Sports. Hey, so, hey, Mike. So forgive me if, if this question was asked earlier, but um, I see JDM versus Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland is actually the the underdog. I I'm picking Kevin Holland to win the fight just because he has fought you know better competition. But is there an avenue that you see this fight going the distance just because Kevin Holland can possibly you know institute you know a ground game? Um, I wasn't really pleased with JDM's last performance against Basil, and I feel like you know there's a lot of um, they, you know doubt creeping in other people's mind on how JDM performed. I know a lot of people are predicting this might be a striking matchup, but do you feel that there is a possibility that Kevin says F it, you know I'm taking this down to the floor? Um, and then lastly, when do you believe that Dana is actually going to announce this second title fight for Abu Dhabi? I feel like he is just Letting time slip away. I know he had to do um, stuff on Wall Street for the whole TKO um, unveiling. But I just feel like there's a possibility it could be the flyweights. Uh, that's just my opinion. Because I haven't heard any rumblings whatsoever that it's has to do with the women's bantamweight division. And there's no way that it's going to be Leon versus Colby at Abu Dhabi. Because that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. All right, Mike. That's all I got to say. Thanks. I don't know, man. I don't know. We're, I mean, we're running out of time here. It's September 14th. That card is October 21st. We are a little over five weeks away from UFC 294, and we don't have that second fight. So, as a, like, this is what I said after the Moreno Pantoja fight. And I think this, this holds true, which, by the way, if they offer a fight to Pantoja and he says no, like, are you really going to rip on this guy after just fighting Brandon Moreno, like, in an absolute war? I mean, those two beat the shit out of each other. And to ask him to turn around, like, three months later, I feel like you're asking a lot of Pantoja. But if he is ready to go and they offer him, like, a little bit of a bonus or something, I don't know if Roy Val gets the shot in Abu Dhabi. I think they go with El Bazi if they go over there. I think that it honestly makes more sense. Like, if Moreno won, I think it would have been Moreno-Royval 100%. I do think Royval is, in most circumstances, gets the fight over Albazi. But if they do it in Abu Dhabi, considering Albazi's background, I could see a world where he sneaks in there and fights Pantoja, and then Royval gets the winner or something. But I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But again, we are, we're, we're getting close. We are just about five weeks away from that card, and I don't even know if we get another title fight at this point. Maybe you just bump 
Shamayev and Costa to a five rounder. Create another belt. Who gives a shit? I don't know. It could be the Bantamweight fight, the women's Bantamweight fight. I don't know, man. I'm trying to think, like, what else could be available? I don't think Zhang's going to fight in five weeks. Volk's not going to fight in five weeks if he's not fighting Islam, and Oliver's already fighting Islam. Yuri Alex isn't going to happen in five weeks. John Jones is fighting in November. It's not going to be Leon Colby. I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, Noah, go ahead. Hey, Mike. What's up, man? So a couple heck of a mornings ago, you said that Jelton Almeida and you were kind of breaking down the Jelton versus Curtis fight, and you said that Curtis wants to keep that fight standing, that he just doesn't want to go to the ground with Jelton, and if he does, he's in trouble. I really disagree with that, and I'm kind of curious on why you think that. I don't think that – I mean, Curtis is like a true heavyweight. He's got insane top pressure, and we really haven't seen him struggle when he gets the fight to the ground. I, we haven't seen – Jailton have much success from the bottom or anything like we had you know when he when he goes to the ground it's just take the double leg you know pass guard rear naked choke right so I kind of think that Curtis if he gets the fight to the ground which honestly I don't think he'll have a super hard time we, it's kind of hard to know but uh just for that on that one and then another one I have is it's kind of hard to say because the heavyweight division is you know, we, we have no idea what happens in November, but I mean, what, ha- what do you think happens? Let's say, or winner, let's regardless of who wins that fight, what, where does the winner go from that fight in the kind of Tom Aspinall gone Pavlovich picture? Where do you think they fit in? Thanks. Um, it, I mean, honestly, it all depends. I think if Jelton wins, you have to give him Pavlovich. Like, I think he's done enough at this point. And the timing of that fight couldn't be any better for Jelton Almeida if he wins that fight. It's a week away from the title fight. And as you know in this sport, it's what have you done for me lately? And a lot of time will have passed between Cyril Gon's win. A lot more time has passed from Tommy Aspinall's win. I kind of feel like Jelton gets it if he does win. To go back to the other point, yeah, I'm with you that it's kind of a mystery if he gets put on his back, but I, I think what I, what I mostly said was, if I'm Curtis, like, take the path of least resistance. Like, just stand there and, and strike with him. Why even risk it? One sweep from Jalen Almeida and the fight could be over. Like, if Jalen gets on top of him at all, like, the fight could be done. Like, he's that good. Again, we don't know what's happening off his back, but why take that risk? Why take that risk? Now, could this be something where... Curtis has a plan where keeps it standing. Maybe they battle against the fence a little bit. Jelton's very good in that position too, able to get trips and takedowns. Like 25 minutes is a long time. And if he gets top position at any point in that fight, it could be, could be the night, man. Like that's just who he is. Now, could we see a world where Curtis Blade just takes him down over and over again, just sits on top of him and like lands some ground upon? Sure, that could happen. He tires him out. But why even put Jelton off like why even take this fight to the ground when you don't have to so there are a lot of unknowns but to me I just I feel like you're flirting with fire unless there's a plan unless you kind of treat this like Jan Bohovic Israel Adesanya where you keep the fight standing you have success and then as the fight goes on we get into rounds four and five then you start taking him down get him a little tired a little sweaty before that happens but a lot of people are telling me like Oh, Blade is going to have like a Marab performance where he's just going to take him down a million times. Like, you really want to take that risk so early in the fight? Jelton's a house, man. Like, Curtis is a, is a big, strong, athletic guy, but Jelton is a house, man. It is – that dude gets on top of you. That's like having a full, like a 350-pounder on top of you. So it's such an interesting fight. It's such an interesting fight. I understand why people are very high on Curtis. Um and Jelton's like not even a heavyweight, which is even crazier to think about. But he is a house, man. He's a house. That's an interesting fight. It really is. But if I'm Curtis, like why even risk it? Just stand there and punch him. And you probably have a better chance to win this fight. The more this fight stays standing, 
clearly it favors Curtis Blades. And if it goes to the ground, I don't know. All bets are off. That was mostly my point. More than anything. But I say a lot of things on this show that are probably wrong. So you, you may be completely right. And I just, I just shit on Curtis Blades for no reason. Uh, Riley, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Uh, two quick things. Uh, one, I just wanted to ask. Uh, the guy before talking before me, uh, did the UFC say they plan to add a second title fight to 94? Or was that just sort of speculation because they pretty much always stack the Abu Dhabi cards? Um, and secondly, I just wanted to ask you, what do you think of the Mikhaev and Tim Elliott fight? I, uh, I feel like that could be, I don't know, like a B-grade version of uh, Saruki and Gamron. I feel like that uh, is definitely going to be a banger. Yeah, I uh, I love I like that fight a lot. I think it's perfect matchmaking. Uh, it's a true test for Muhammad Mukhayev because the thing with Muhammad is like after that first fight with Cody Durden, we were like, oh shit! Like I even said this guy could be a two division champion. Like I was pretty confident in it. And then you realize just like how old he is. He's just he's a super young cat, getting better. And I don't know, like some people some people say, well, maybe it's just the level of competition. Like if he's fighting a guy that he's like a minus 900 favorite over, maybe he's not as, as motivated and enthused. And only a couple of people in the world can actually answer that question. But when you book a fight like this with a guy like Tim Elliott, who is a friggin' dog, we're going to learn a lot about Muhammad Makayev in this fight. We are going to learn a lot about him. Because Tim ain't going to, it's, it's, it's going to be really tough to get him out of there. Tim is just, he's a wily, grizzled vet who can be competitive with anybody in this division. It's a really good fight. Really good fight. The second title fight thing, that's typically what they do, is they do two title fights in Abu Dhabi. It's kind of like part of the, the process, part of the plan. And they think it's part of the deal as well. But I don't know, man. Hamza Paul Cost is a pretty damn good co-main of it. That's a pretty damn good co-main event. That's probably better than any other title fight that's available that you could put on this card right now, outside of Leon and Colby, which that, that I don't, I just don't see that fight happening in Abu Dhabi. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But dude, Hamza Hamza Kost is like a tremendous co-main event. It's a really good one. By the time we get to that fight week, by the time we get to like Wednesday, like we're not even talking about Islam versus Charles. Like, everyone's going to be talking about Hamza and Costa because those two are going to get together. They're going to talk trash about each other. The press conference is going to be wild between those two guys, and it's going to be like every Shemaya fight and every Costa fight where they just steal the headlines. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have a second title fight, and if they do, maybe it's Pantoja Albazi or Pantoja Royval. I don't think it's going to be Pantoja Royval, but I kind of feel like Albazi will – have a good chance of getting it because of it's in Abu Dhabi. Anywhere else, Roy Val probably gets it. But we got 11 fights and some spots for it. So I think it's a pretty damn good, like those top five fights is a pretty solid card right there. A lot of, a lot of like uh, local fighters on the card as well, who fans are going to come out and cheer for underneath. They'll, they'll probably add a few more. I don't know. You still, we still are wondering what's going to happen at 295. Like, are we going to do a second title fight on that card? Are we going to do three title fights on that card? Is Colby Leon going to be on that one? Are they going to do the women's bantamweight? Is a, is a fight on that card as well? There's a lot of spots open, and there's a lot of unanswered questions. Leon Colby, and we got Chad O'Malley, Cheeto Vera. Where's is that going to happen in December? Is that going to happen in November? When is that going to happen? When's Yuri Alex going to happen? I mean, there's lots of options, but we're running out of time. The clock is ticking in regards to booking those fights. So, yeah, that was just, it's just kind of a, a thing that's part of the deal, two, two title fights. So, um, I'll bring up the Kevin, Kevin Holland fight as well because I know Four Corner Sports asked about it and – we had another caller asking about reporters and and because Kevin kind of went in on on a reporter 
And I believe the context of the conversation was, you know, about whether or not Kevin Holland's looking for the belt. And Kevin says what he always says. I'm not looking for the belt. I'm just looking to fight as often as possible and get as much money as possible. And I believe he said that, those exact words, in about 45 seconds. And then the follow-up was, well, why don't you care about the belt? And he's like, I just – he basically said, like, well, I just told you why I don't care about the belt. Why do you care about the belt? And then went kind of back and forth. So it is important to kind of understand where the fighter is coming from, and you have to understand where these questions come from and how many times they have been asked about this question. There was a time where I interviewed Kevin Holland a lot. Uh, I don't get to interview all that often anymore, um, mostly because he goes on Ariel a bunch. Um, I don't know. If I'm asked to interview him, sure. But there was a time, like, I was interviewing Kevin Holland, like, two days before fights when he was on that run. I was, I mean, I, I was high on Kevin Holland before most people were. Before he went 5-0, and oh, I was telling people, like, how, like, this guy could be a, a star for the company. He's got the gift of gab. Dude could fight his ass off. He's never in a boring fight. Keep your eye on this guy. And there were times where I would interview him all the time. Now I don't, but there are hot buttons with Kevin. There are hot buttons with him. And it's something you learn with him over time. Because I was interviewing Kevin before he got in the UFC, before the Contender Series, when he was just getting into the UFC. He's got hot buttons. And you have to, like, you got to read his body language. It's very rare that Kevin will sit there and, like, react the way that he did yesterday. It's very, very rare. I don't know if I've ever really seen him do that. Um, but it's just a matter of, like, when he makes his point, move on. You just got to move on. And Kevin just wants to fight and make money. Like, that's, that's been his thing. Even when the pandemic happened, you can go back. I, I don't know if this is on What the Heck or just, like, a standalone interview. But, like, Kevin was supposed to fight. Who the hell was he supposed to fight? Let me pull this up. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, who was he supposed to fight? I believe it was on that canceled London card. That was the one that was supposed to be headlined by Leon Edwards, Tyron Woodley. He's supposed to fight. Oh, he's supposed to fight Jack Marshman. March 21st. I believe that was the, the London card that was supposed to be headlined by Woodley. Yes, it was Woodley versus Edwards. Um, man, there were a ton of freaking fights on that card. Shafkar Rachmadov supposed to fight on that card. Um, Tommy Aspinall supposed to fight Jake Collier on that card. Like, it's kind of a wild one to go back and look at. Paul Craig Ryan Spann was supposed to be on that card. But I remember talking to Kevin Hall, like, right when everything was canceled, and Kevin was just like, and I was asking him about, like, how he's looking at fighting and, like, his money and stuff. And he was just like, no, nah, dude, like, I'm just going to, I don't care that I'm not getting paid. Like, I'm just going to spend all my money. And then, like, things are going to turn around. I'm going to get another fight. And then I'm just going to get another one. And then I'm just going to get another one. Like, I'll fight every three weeks. His whole goal was never the belt. Like, he's never, ever once said that I can remember, at least to me, of all the years, all the conversations I've had with Kevin Holland, never once has he ever said to me, Outside of like putting himself in position, like being five and zero and stepping in on a, in a main event on short notice after the Jacare win, the potential of fighting for the belt was like right there. He's probably a win away, and even after the Jacare win, like you could make an argument because Kevin's stock was so high that you could put him into a title fight. But he was never like, "Yeah, give me the title." He's never ever said that to me. Never once was like, "What's your goal in the sport?" It was never to be a UFC champion. It was to get fucking rich. That's what he wants. He wants to be a prize fighter. Just fight often and make money because that's how you become a star in the UFC. That's how you get over. Kevin Holland fought five times in 2020 during the pandemic and got over like Rover because he fought all the time. That's how Hamzat got over initially. Fought twice in Fight Island, like a 10-day stretch. Went out and just melted Gerald Mearshart. And we're just like, this is the dude. This is the guy. We saw him all the time. And Kevin's just always been that guy. That's just how he's always been. So, yeah, it was kind of weird seeing him just kind of go off like that. But Kevin just wants to make money and fight. That's all he's ever cared about. So, and he's, he's mentioned, like, the belt. He doesn't care about that. 
doesn't care about any of that stuff. Just wants to fight and boost the bank account and collect shoes and cars. That's it. Cole, go ahead. Hi, Mike. I know you're talking about uh, no bets barred. What did you make of Jed switching sides after going bankrupt from this fight earlier this year? I don't like, would you have done the same thing? I can't believe he did it. I think he should have stayed with Valentina. But uh, yeah, what do you think about that? Don't blame him. I don't blame him. And the reasoning behind it, I, it makes perfect sense. To Jed, this is a, a, at best for Valentina, it's a 50 50 fight. It's a 50 50 fight. That's how Jed views this. Worst case scenario, this fight could go either way. That's how Jed views this in his head. So if, you're, if you view a fight as 50-50 and you're getting plus money on one of the sides, you got to take it. And that's the way he's – it's a value bet. And Jed even said, like, when he makes his official pick, he's probably going to – like, if it's – if they're, like, minus 110 each, he's probably picking Valentina. But if you're giving her – you're giving Alexa Grasso still plus money after watching the first fight and you truly feel it's a 50-50 fight – you got to go with the value. So I'm not, re- I'm not surprised by it. Having said that, like if he jumps on a preview show or something and I say who's going to win, he's probably going to pick Valentina. But you getting the extra 42 points of juice when you think it's a 50-50 fight. From a betting perspective, if you feel that way, that's where your money needs to go. That's where your money needs to go. Like if you feel like Kevin, if you feel like Kevin Hall and Jack Mad- Della Maddalena is a 50-50 fight, like this could go either way. You're gonna bet on it. Like, why would you bet on Jack Della Maddalena? Why not bet take the extra juice with Kevin Holland if you think it's a 50-50 fight? Because the odds are, I mean, what you're saying is Jack JDM's like a 50, I don't know, with those odds, 54% chance to win. Take the juice. Take the juice. It's a value bet. So no, I don't blame him at all. It is kind of shocking to hear it, but when you hear Jed sort of break it down from a from a value perspective, it makes sense. It's wild to think about though. After going all in on back-to-back Valentina fights, Danielle, go ahead. Uh, Daniel, Jesus Christ, go ahead, man. Danielle, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries, uh, Michaelina. I appreciate it bringing me on. Today. <laughs> uh, no, um, you know me. I always got just like a quick one. Just curious how the betting went last week. I know you had mentioned a couple fights, but just curious how uh, how the betting went for you last week, and if you're taking any shots this week. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we'll not be taking any shots this week. I will take shots on 294. I'm gonna. I'm only gonna bet on the pay per views. Like when I'm doing the watch party, like that's it. That, that those are the only ones. And it's just because DraftKings involvement and like I don't want GC to, to be by himself. Let's just go. Um, I did all right. I did all right. Uh, I was heading into the main card. I was feeling pretty good about things. Uh, I had cashed. I had added some bets while I was waiting at the airport to fly out. I had bet Kevin Jossett as a, as an underdog. The more I looked at him, I'm like, how the hell is this guy an underdog? Uh, I bet Gabriel Miranda by submission over Shane Young, so I, cl- I got a nice win there. Um, and then I, I, I did bet Jack Jenkins by decision. So obviously the Chepe Mariscal and the injury, that, that didn't work out. I had Nazareth hack parast in two parlays, which is probably something I'll never say again. Uh, but I did pretty good with that. I got, I had hack parast, Manel cop, Carlos Olberg as a parlay. So that was plus money. And then I did hack parast cop Izzy as another one. Obviously that didn't work out. Uh, Tyson Pedro. I cashed. I had cop Felipe Dos Santos under two and a half. That didn't work out. I had cop by KOTKO. That didn't work out. I tied to Ivasa by knockout. That didn't work out. And then I had a bunch of exposure on Izzy um, and, and some unders. And yeah, I did not win. I was off to a great start. I was feeling pretty good. I was up like six or seven units, like heading into the Minnell cop fight. And then I cashed one parlay, but then I lost other bets on Minnell and the fight going under. And then Ty killed. Ty was just like another dagger. And I was still up like a unit and a half, maybe. And then the Izzy fight happened, and I just got sunk. And then freaking DraftKings with that boost to plus 100. Like, having any exposure on Izzy and not taking that was absolutely silly. And 
that turned out to be the biggest bet I placed in total. Because like my GC's units and Jed's units and anybody who bets units are much higher than mine. Like I'm just doing it more for entertainment purposes. My units are like three dollars, uh, but I did put the full twenty five on Izzy at plus one hundred, and that was the biggest loss of all. Um, so I ended up down. And I was down with 292 as well because I had a lot of exposure on – I had some exposure on Aljamain Sterling. Uh, I had a lot of exposure on Zhang Li getting a finish against Amanda Lemos, and that didn't happen. So that one stung a lot. But I'm not getting melted um, by at all. But, yeah, two losing weeks. But, I, you know, I lost a couple of do- – on all in all, I've lost like – maybe a week's full of Dunkin' Donuts iced coffees, which I would get anyway, so no big deal. Joe, go ahead. What's up, Mike? What's up? Hey, bro. Uh, do you remember last week there was a guy who said he thinks Sean – he said Sean Strickland has a 65% chance of winning, and you told him bet the house. Did that guy ever come back and uh, say anything? And if so, I'd like to know who he is so he can tell me who to bet on next week. Thanks, bro. I, I don't remember. I think it was maybe Octagon Blog who said that. Because you don't forget when someone says Sean Strickland has a 65% chance of beating Israel Adesanya. Um, but I think that's who it was. But yeah, I hope he bet the farm on Sean Strickland if he really felt that way. There's the value right there. If you feel like Sean Strickland was 65-35 at like plus 440 or wherever he was, like go bananas, man. Like go five units on that. Max bet the shit out of that. And I hope he did. I hope he did. That dude's going to live forever on this show after saying 65%. It's, it's funny because I've had some like interesting conversations with some different folks about this fight. Like yesterday, I talked to Todd Duffy. I think you like maybe newer fans aren't familiar with Todd Duffy, but longtime fans know who Todd is. He was, uh, he was in the UFC for quite some time, had some main events. Uh, dude looked like Ivan Drago coming through and just was like a big, jacked-up, fun-ass fighter who's like never in a boring fight. And then he just kind of vanished for three years, came back, had a fight. It ended in a no contest. And then four years went by almost, and like we didn't see him at all. And then he booked a fight with Phil DeFries in KSW, loses that fight, and now he's fighting for fighting at uh, next weekend's rising card. And I talked to Todd about the fight and how he viewed it. And the way he sort of broke Sean Strickland down to me from a technical aspect, I was like, make a lot of sense, man. Like, I really wish I talked to you before this fight because a lot of the stuff he said, like, made so much sense. And I know you can look at him and be like, uh... You know, it's in hindsight. The fight already happened, so you could say anything at this point. But Todd's trained with Sean. He knows Sean. Sean has punched him in the face many, many times. So to to hear him say, like, he wasn't surprised, like, the way he thought of people just saying, like, Sean had no chance in all, he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So, yeah. That that whole conversation is probably not going to get aired. Because we, I mean, we just went down many, many rabbit holes about many different things. It was pretty uh, interesting conversation. There'll be write-ups, obviously, because he's getting ready to fight. But just hearing the fighter perspective on what went down, and I'm actually going to be talking to uh, to John Anik a little bit later on today to get his reaction to everything. Sitting cage side, watching this all unfold. Just wild times. It's freaking wild. John Strickland, the middleweight champion of the world. This story is just going to continue on, and it's going to be amazing. It's great seeing uh, Eric Nixick get some extra shine. The guy's done a million interviews. He was on Ariel's show yesterday, and it was just amazing stuff. If you haven't watched Eric's interview with Ariel, or vice versa, Ariel interviewing Eric from the MAR yesterday, uh, jump off here and go watch it because I can listen to Eric Nixick break things down for hours and hours and hours. Just incredible stuff. But all right, we are going to get out of here. Um, start a little bit later, so we need to end a little bit earlier. BTL coming up in just over an hour. 
if you're listening live right now, uh, 12.30 Eastern, Jed, New York Rick, reacting to all this. We'll talk Noche UFC, we'll talk some Bellator announcements, all the, the fun stuff. Tomorrow we'll be back here. We'll do it again, 10 a.m. Eastern. I believe 10 a.m. Eastern. There will be – Jose is in Vegas, or I believe he's getting there later today. So there's going to be a live weigh-in show. So I'm not really sure when that's – I think it's at noon Eastern, so it's, we should be fine here. Uh, weigh-in show at noon Eastern tomorrow. Preview show at 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. And then we'll have the usual people's pre-fight show, post-fight show, all the post-fight stuff, live post-fight press conference, everything you need and want from U- uh, Noche UFC. We got you covered on to the next one on Sunday. This is when things start to ramp up here at MAFighting.com. So thank you all very much. See you back here tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. But until then, everybody, have a great rest of your Thursday and have a heck of a morning. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.